Hey folks, welcome to the Wrenchers podcast, a show that's about improving the life, well-being, and productivity of mechanics everywhere. I am your host, Mr. Joshua Taylor, founder of Wrenchers, and today, today we have a special guest, a very large content creator on TikTok, a very big advocate for service advisors everywhere, Chris Craig. Let's get into it. Chris, um, tell us a little bit about yourself, and uh, and then tell us, you know, what got you into automotive. Yeah. Um, first yeah, of all, um, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's awesome when I get to be on podcasts and talking long forms. I'm known mostly for my TikTok content, but I only get a couple minutes of the time for that. Um, so when I get to come on a podcast and explain things a little bit more in depth, it's always uh, really great to to do. Um, you already said it. I'm a big advocate for service advisors, but I would also say I'm an advocate for anybody in the automotive industry. Um, I do what I do because I notice a gross lack of training when I was in the field. Um, I had my background had my as a technician and my background as a college graduate and all my training and stuff that assisted me in my service advising career. So I was okay, but I watched so many people come and go on the service lane because of just a gross lack of training. Um, actually, I just posted a TikTok. It was a, within the last three posts talking about when I put my two weeks in at one of the dealerships I got a lot of experience in, I was the 17th advisor to put my notice in in 12 months which is Ooh. extremely high turnaround. Yeah, that, that, that store really goes through them. And I, my uh, wife worked there for another year after me, and they're on like 32 um, by the end of that year. So, you know, the turnover is really big. You make these relationships with these people, you know, the people you work with, especially as a service advisor, you work 11 hours a day with these people, Monday through Friday, and you spend Saturdays with them too. That's like your second family, and you spend more time with these people than your own family. So it's hard on you to see these people come and go. You know, I, I started working in that one particular dealership, for example, saw all the people around me, got to know them. By the time I left, all those people were gone. It was all different people, completely different phases. Um, the only person that was still there was the manager. And, well, he was part of the wow, problem. That's crazy. You know, that's so it, it inspired me to really go on and, and just try to fill that gap because there's just not training available out there for those personnel. And I watched them hire people off the street and they had potential and I was doing my best to train them, but it also wasn't my responsibility. I was a commission-based employee. So, you know, the more time I spent with them, the less money I made, which I was willing to make that sacrifice. But um, I made it my own it's little It's really mission. hard when you get in that position too, right? When you get to be like that emotional dump. So how is that, you know, that that's a, that's a, awful position to be in to be 17th to give your notice how does that find you know how does that relate to your first year then like is that is that was that a store that you were on later or was that your first store that was my second store um oh, i had moved God. a long distance long to work distance at that store actually i was uh if I go back, if I, go um, back um, I graduated college, graduate college, I went, I'm in the military as well. So I went and did some military training and I was like, Hey, I've been out of high school for like 10 years. I'm ready to move home. I move home. I start working at a small Toyota store. I loved it. I loved every minute of working there. The pay was absolutely terrible. Like, like dirt floor. Like it was bad. And I just realized like, I'm never going to go anywhere. Quick pause. Just because there, there might not be a whole lot of service advisors that listen to me regularly enough to get service advisor do you mind sharing what that is what the pay was at that particular store yeah how, how it was structured yeah so yeah so the pay at that store was structured store was like this there was a salary that you achieved every week it was like 350 dollars um i think that was after taxes 350 dollars you got a week and then you got a monthly bonus and it was a percentage of the gross uh, but i was so young in the game i don't even know what that percentage was I just know it ranged, um, the bonus ranged dollar amount from 400 to just under a thousand. Um, the whole time I worked there, that's all we achieved. So, you know, maximum end of the month, you get 350 a week, and then you might get a thousand dollar bonus in that month. So for a service advisor, especially the hours you put in, it's, it's really, and especially I've worked in four different stores now. Um, that's by percentage, by 50% less of what I could make in any other store that I had worked in. Um, so that was, that was part of what moved me away from there, but also I was just ready to like get back out there into some different places. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm from a small town and when you leave and come back, it's like everybody's in the family status. I wasn't married at the time. I was single. So I was like, Hey, um, I'm ready to move somewhere new and explore something new. And that's what I've been doing for like the last gotcha. 10 years. I fell in love with that. I, I did that. I, I, I moved away. Like I moved a whole lot when I was younger, just the way, you know, family was growing up and, and the way things worked out. But I moved away. We spent a lot of time in, uh, away in the city. Then we came back. Like when we decided to, you know, build a family, as it were. When we, you know, found out 
I say we because I, I feel like it's inappropriate to say we when we found out we were pregnant. I wasn't pregnant. Absolutely not. Right. My wife did all the work. Um, but when we found out that was the case, it was, okay, what are the steps that we need to take over the next, you know, 12 to 36 months to make, yeah. to, to get home so that we can be closer to home. And, and we found, and, and we've been some time, but you know, I, I understand that struggle. I understand that struggle. Yeah. So I, you know, I, you know, I was working at the Toyota store and I just shot my resume uh, out resume. all through the South, essentially, cause I was in Pennsylvania. Cause so it's like, I'm not going mm-hmm. north, I'm going to go South. Um, so I just shoot it out everywhere. I don't really remember sending it to anywhere in Tennessee, but Tennessee is the place to pick me up. So I had a buddy that I served with in the military that was looking for a roommate in the same area of this dealership. So I'm just like, okay, let me go interview and see how I can make this work. And then I interviewed at the store. I knew that that store was in trouble. I had a feeling that they were hiring me out of desperation. I mean, I'm a brand new service advisor from a totally different state and they're talking to me and wanting to hire me. So. I was like, there's probably some problems here. And I knew that, but it was also my ticket out of Pennsylvania. So that's how I ended up at that second store um, that that previous story I just told you had come from. Mm-hmm. So you've, you've, you've bounced around a little bit. Now, now you're at the second store and then you've left the second store after being the 17th person yeah. to give notice. Where do you go to, where do you go to? So this whole experience in this first year to, to three years of being a service advisor in the automotive industry thus far isn't doing you a, a, a very happy circumstances. Like you, you're bouncing around, you're in a place that, that is high turn. So obviously there's all kinds of probably not necessarily really large things that are necessarily wrong, but probably lots and lots of really little things. That's just constantly gnawing at you that it's like, I can't, I, 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 I can work on myself. But there's only so much that I can do until, you know, I can change my environment a little bit, but maybe I have to change, change my environment. Maybe I have to really leave. So you've, you've done that for the first little bit and, and gone through the trials and tribulations. Where are you going to afterwards? Yeah. So after I yeah, left so that I store, I went to a Chrysler store. So it was a Toyota store. I went to a Ford store. The Ford store was the 17th advisor store. And I went to a Chrysler mm-hmm. store. Um, and that was my first experience with Chrysler. Uh, I went there and I, I didn't spend too much time in that store only because the pay was a big decrease and the management there was also very bad. Um, that was actually at, when I was working in that Chrysler store, that's when TikTok started for me because I had so many, I had some things that were so frustrating to me that I would, I started venting them on TikTok. Just like, I was like, okay, I'm going to make a quick okay, rant video. And that's exactly what I did. I made a rant video. It got a little bit of traction. And I was like, okay, that was kind of cool. I'll do another rant video. It's also therapeutic for me. And then the comments start rolling in and I have people asking questions. So I start replying to comments, but I realize I can help these people by answering their questions. So it turned into helping people instead of complaining about my day and it snowballed into what it is today. So in a lot of ways, that Chrysler store and that Ford store there behind it, um, the bad experiences I had in those two particular stores really kind of lit the fire for me to say, hey, there's a need in this industry. These people need assistance. There's there's a lack of training out there. And I do have some knowledge that I can share with people from the experiences I've had, my background and my education. Um, I was also a technician once myself. I, you know, I, I've done all that stuff as well. Um, so I have that experience and I can share that with people. So it kind of snowballed into that. But yeah, I didn't, that, I ended up leaving that store for a sister store, which was a Ford store that was across the street. Um, so that Chrysler sister store, I have more experience with Ford anyways, and I knew that you can make more money there. And I knew that the manager there was a lot more solid. So I ended up making that transition. So that wasn't necessarily like a quit and go to another job. It was more of a slide into their sister store because gotcha. it thought became available and it was much more suited for me. Gotcha. And there's a couple of things to take away from there. For one, um, recently got a couple of questions in my DMs about making content, making content about as a mechanic, making content as an advisor, so on and so forth, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. And also seeing content that's posted online from store positions. Like I'm working for Fix Ops Marketing. We are a marketing platform from Send to Cern, full attribution, reporting, so on and so forth. But going into seeing the data now that I have, you know, four or five months under my belt there, seeing a lot of the analytics and seeing what all the different stores are doing successfully, whether they're utilizing our platform or not, what are they doing socially with their mechanics and their advisors? And you mentioned somewhere in there at the very beginning, and I remember one of the first times I remember seeing some of your content is your content, I think, didn't snowball as much. Like I attribute some of my own content success around, yes, virality, virality happens. Yes. But I think a lot of the virality happens on responses. 
I knew very early on, many, many moons ago, I've been, I've been doing social for a while and it's starting to grow. The experience is starting to pay off. Comments matter. Yeah. I remember like my, my most viral, we'll call it my most viral video today has got just shy of a million views. That's not, a, that's not a lot for some, that's a lot for many. Um, but it was, you know, there's a thousand comments in there and there might be 500 of me responding to people. Your first videos that I saw you being successful with, I believe, were you doing video responses to those questions in there in in as long form a content as you could yeah. make at the time. Because if I recall, when TikTok first came out, they were like five to 15 seconds, no more than that. Then they went to 30 seconds and they went to a minute. Now, those are, now I think I have access. I think you probably have access as well, up to 10 minutes, yes. give or take, yeah. if, you so, if you so want. It doesn't work as well at 10 minutes on TikTok. Um, that's a YouTube platform, uh, yes. piece of content, but that's the big thing that anybody that's listening right now, that's a, an automotive leader comments, responses on your social being social on social as saw, if you know, Sean Welsh, you're on, on LinkedIn and some of my listeners will know Sean Welsh, very big advocate for being social on social, yeah. be social. Right. And that yeah. I think that garnered some of your much of your success, at least in my opinion, that because you are very, you're very eloquent, you're very well spoken and you answer not you should do it this way. It's a I did it this way and got success by doing it this way. It's a very different way of portraying the story. It's it's less it's not offensive. It's educational and it's not a you should do it this way. It's it can be done this way. And I think the other thing, too, is understanding that yes you've moved a couple of times but we're talking about a span of what four or five years somewhere in there it was a span of three and across all of them yeah a span of three so you've taken uh, an opportunity turned it into another opportunity turned into another opportunity and then now you're back at a four store where you feel the most comfortable you can make some money and you have experience in there utilizing you know your experience and your knowledge of the brand and, and going forward so what was your experience then now that you've kind of slid across the street, as you, as you said, what was your experience there now? Now, now you've got a couple of years under your belt. Well, first I just want to say, I appreciate, I say I appreciate um, what you said about my content, about my content and, and how I deliver it and the comment section. I want to say about that, that yes, that's a really big deal. Um, I'm glad that you found that I come across that way because for me, um, I'm not the end all be all and I can definitely be wrong sometimes more than I can be right. And what I really enjoy about my content and for the people that make it to the end of every video, I only say, what are your thoughts? Because it's everybody's voice in the comment section. That community is where those answers are going to come from because we do get into those nitty gritty details um, and a lot of the hardships in the industry. There's a lot of problems in the industry and a lot of hardships and it's everybody's voices together that can fix that industry, not just one voice alone. So I, I do really appreciate that. Uh, but my experience at the Ford store was great. Um, management was was put together really well. I mean, the business was really, really good. Um, I, I really enjoyed my time in the Ford service lane. Um, I eventually did transition to the other half of that store because it was a Ford Lincoln store, and I tried my hand in luxury. And I, I enjoyed that as well. Um, but that's where things started kind of falling apart because I was sent over there because they were having turnover issues. So I got sent over there on a mission to, hey, work over here because you do really well on the Ford side. And let us and know what you're observing over there in the Lincoln side, because there was no manager or anything over there. There was just one manager that was housed in the Ford side. So they were managerless, essentially, on this side of the store. They said, hey, go over there, work there, and tell me what the problems are. So I sent over to that side of the house to do that. And I did that, and I explained a lot of the issues and stuff, and they're, they're still transitioning and fixing a lot of those things. Um, but just to clarify, I don't actually work as a service advisor anymore. I haven't for about a year now. Um, I work... Um, I, we can get into what I do now, but I, I do uh, a lot of uh, content creation for a company called RockEd, um, which is a training platform and coaching platform for service advisors and salespeople and people in dealerships. So they primarily market the dealerships, but um, it's basically like TikTok, but dialed in on very specific topics and how-tos and best practices, um, coaching scenarios and training scenarios for service advisors and automotive personnel to learn from. Gotcha. I gotcha. I think I actually coincidentally, completely coincidentally, um, I think I've I've connected with uh, Jordan Cox and Kelly over at Asotu. And I think um, who was it that I reached? At? It was recent. I understand somebody reached out to me to refer. So somebody at Rocked. Anyway, it's it's doesn't matter who it was, but um, I've heard the name. 
somebody asked, I think it was Dave Foy asked me, like, who do you know that's really knowledgeable about EVs and is currently a technician? And yeah. it's my buddy, Stephen, uh, I say Stephen, even though I know his name, Stephen, Stephen DeSantos, I'm working who's with him. a buddy of mine. Pardon? I'm working with him right now. He's, he's, yeah, he's, buddy. Yeah, no, so, yeah so, that's awesome. He, yeah, I, like, I wrote he's this script like he's big a brain, like yeah. really yeah. big brain on EVs. Yeah. Wow, it's a small world. So yeah, I worked with Dave Ford. Um, Him and I created Um, content together together for Rocket. Um, And I'm working Um, with him as well. I don't know where they're at and everything, but my understanding is that he's going to come on for talent for us and um, read my scripts that I've written. And of course, it's not just me. I mean, I've had a lot of assistance and a lot of time with these scripts, and he's actually looked over them himself because he's the subject matter expert assigned to them to look over them and make sure they're accurate. He tends to like them, so it makes me feel good that I might know something about something. But yeah, small world. That's cool. Yeah, that's awesome. He's and realistically, we're 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 not close. You and I, we are not close in distance. He and I are. He's about an hour and fifteen minutes away from my house. In in in, and not that you know, I live in Wasega Beach. I'm in the cold north here and under snow. Yeah. Um. He gets to be in the climate, um, shall we say, climate controlled Toronto, which is not the same climate as we have here. Um. But I do. That's super small world. I didn't. I hadn't put those things together because I knew you were doing something for Rocket. That's awesome. So you're making. You're physically making content to try and help the automotive industry better. Specifically, that's awesome. Yes. That's yes. really awesome. Right. Okay. Right. Cool. I, I service talent. Yes, I do all of those things. Awesome. So now that you're doing that and you've got access to all that, and over the over the course of the last four or five years, um, what? You know, through those experiences, and we can go deeper into some of them, but what through those experiences would you say has created a piece of advice that you would give to technicians to be happier, healthier, more more productive? Well, for t- technicians specifically, um, a lot of what their issues are going to derive from is what I've noticed just through conversations. It's usually the more we get close to flat rate, the more people are unhappy because you can control how much you make on flat rate, but only so much because the service advisor, the business model, the dealership is going to be the input. Like it's not like a technician's out there drumming up work like a salesperson. They get what comes into the shop. Now there's certain best practices that a technician can do to make their day go smoother, make sure that, you know, simple things like have a clean bay and stuff like that is to, you know, so that way you can work quicker and be more efficient. Um, Think about your day a little bit more pre-plan, make sure your tools are accessible, things that you can make your day go a little bit quicker, communicate more effectively uh, with your parts team and everything. Make sure those parts are coming in or talk to your your service advisor and ensure those sort of things. Um, But the the biggest thing that I could say from a service advisor perspective is just communication um, with your tech, with your service advisors. That, that communication piece is so important. I worked with a lot of really great technicians and I worked with a few not so great. Um, so I've seen both sides of it. And I've worked with a lot of great service advisors and a lot of not so great service advisors, primarily due to training. And one of the bigger things is communication breakdowns um, really cause a bad day for technicians. You've got something tying up both your bays or both in the air and you got the cabs pulled off of them and the parts didn't come in because you didn't communicate to the parts department that that had to be on the way or you didn't tell your service advisor that, hey, those parts need to be coming or you forgot to let the service advisor know to call to sell that extra work. Now we're wondering who's going to get this labor covered and stuff like that. So communication can go a, a long way just from a tech. It really can. Um, so yeah, it really can. So you, I, the registers, well, this survey. So at the date, we're almost at 30 stores. I'm just shy of 500 technician submissions in, in the survey now. And I watched your video it doesn't, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter brand thus far. I'm, I think I'm in, I think I've been through 10 states. I think I'm close or, or closing in on 10 states, um, all five brand types, meaning, you know, domestic import, um, European luxury or premium and luxury. So all five brand types. I'm not in, I haven't serviced every brand period across, but enough diversity to say that it doesn't matter the brand. It doesn't matter the state thus far. Um, Every single one of them the in the shop life 20, the most important thing that technicians want to change is that they want to feel listened to. Mm. And I've, I've preached this before and I'll say it again because I've got somebody who I can actively talk to about it is that it's a two way street. Right. Technicians will complain that they're not being listened to or that the service advisors suck without changing themselves in some way or improving themselves in some way. 
Conversely, you're, you mentioned at the very beginning of this episode that you're an advocate mostly because of a lack of training that you saw in the, the marketplace for advisors. Now, I know a lot of advisor trainers. I know there are advisor trainers that do very specific things, some that work very specifically in the express lane, some that work very specifically with advisors in mobile, some that work in uh, a tactical way for either um, insurance sales of some description, meaning you know tire warranties, extended warranties, things of that nature, how to, how to close those kinds of businesses. Mm -hmm. But there's still not enough trainers out there because at the end of the day, every service manager on the planet basically doesn't have time to do the level of coaching and training that they need to do for the team to be successful. Because yeah. they need both their advisors and their technicians to communicate well. And if you have an average size store, which at this point, by my data, my average store size is 13, right? That means 13 technicians. My average store size for advisors is three. So if you have 16 people that you as an individual, a leader, a service manager are trying to coach, you that's maybe one a day. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Heaven forbid you have more than 13 uh, techs and more than three advisors. You're one a day. Good luck. Good luck. And my understanding at this point going forward with my own data based on the survey and the things that I've captured is that it's not until you get about 15 technicians about that the average we're talking about the average store the one that's not making the kind of targets that they they really should be doing the ones that yeah. aren't hitting the hours per row targets that they really should be doing they're yeah. struggling yeah. to make enough revenue to pay for coaches to come in to pay for trainers to come in because it's expensive like, don't get me wrong. I'm, you know, if, if somebody wants to hire me for a day, it's not a cheap endeavor. If you ha hire somebody who's been doing it for 20 years, training for 20 years, very, 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 very successfully for 20 years, it's going to be even more expensive than myself. So you have to have the revenue in order to pay for the expense. But at the end of the day, what is, what is, what is that communication uplift going to happen? If you have someone focusing on communication between your technicians and your advisors, how much more money are you going to make? Not just from the business, but for the individuals that are trying to provide for themselves and for their families. Like it's such a big deal when training and coaching comes into mind. And when you dive into the data on it, it gets even more crazy. I, I, you mentioned there you, you watched the, 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 the wellness survey video and, and the, the plateaus. Were you as surprised as I was when I first figured out that those plateaus exist for income for technicians and training? No, absolutely. Like, yeah, it, it was, was some shocking was data, some you shocking had data you had. Like it was, it, it was mind blowing for me the first time that, you know, I knew that level one trained technicians weren't going to make that much money. And I knew there was going to be a ceiling, but I didn't think that ceiling would be as low as 40 grand. And understanding that and disseminating between the data going to level two, I figured again, they'd make a whole lot more money than they were making on average, but they basically ceilinged out at 60 grand. And that, okay, fine. Okay, we, we, can, we can, okay, justify, blah, 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 talk about it, whatever. But when you go to level three and you see the disparity between level one and level, level two and then, then level three, the fact that the average income of a level three, com basically a completely trained technician is making 110 on average, the disparity between the two mm -hmm. and how, how much training affects that in all kinds of things, right? Because one of the things from a coaching standpoint, now that you've had an opportunity to do coaching, and I want to ask you about that here in a minute for advisors, but from a coaching standpoint, technicians who have their level three are also the same individuals typically that are seeking out other forms of education, other forms of coaching, other forms of, yeah. of information. How do I do this better? How do I do this better? What tool can I purchase that's going to make me tremendously more efficient? And that then levels up, right? And that, I think, is that mindset difference between level two and level is that the same kind of thing that you're seeing when you are talking? Because whilst I've seen some of your content, I haven't seen it all. The comments that you make are typically to people who are in advisor roles asking for help. Would you suggest that it's similar, meaning that you have a really, we'll call it infantile advisor in the business, uh, say a quasi level two that's been in the business for a while and someone who's been in the business, say 10 years. Is that income disparity from your comments and from your feedback, the same? 
Yeah. So yes. most so service advisors are paid off of commission. So it's straight up percentage of what you sell or, or you know, whatever your CSI is. And that's what's interesting, too, is that your pay plan from store to store is going to change. So that's also a question also I get a lot is like, hey, is this a good pay plan? And they'll show it to me and I'll say, I, had, I don't know. Like, what do you mean you don't know? I'm like, well, I need to know what your store's numbers are. Like, if you're a service advisor and you're thinking about moving to another dealership or maybe you're just moving to another town, you need to get a new job as a service advisor. And you look at the pay plan, you look at your current pay plan, their pay plan, and you compare the two, it's a bunch of percentages. And it's like, okay, well, the percentages are higher or lower. It means absolutely nothing. I mean, there's there's a lot of service advisors out there that do not know their pay plans. They don't know what gross profit is. They don't know what ELR is. They don't know what CSI is, and they don't know how to achieve those things. They have no idea what hours per RO is, and nobody's telling them either, and it's on their pay plan. So they don't know what to explore or what to focus on. And when you're looking at that pay plan from that new dealership and considering, you know, hey, is this feasible for me? Can I still make my car payment and, you know, afford my mortgage and everything like that? Uh, what you have to do is you have to ask that dealership for their last three years of their numbers to get averages of what their service advisors are, are currently producing so you can know what to expect based on those percentages. You know, 50% of a grape is nothing, but 50% of a watermelon is something. So you got to know what <laughs> exactly. you know I, love, I love that analogy. That That is going in the book. Yeah, there you go. A grape is nothing. Fifty percent of watermelon is something. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So that that's a big piece of it. And I mean, we haven't even talked about being a service advisor. We're talking about understanding how you're compensated based on the plan that they've given you. And I'm telling you, some of these pay plans are a couple pages long, and they can be very confusing. So you have to first decipher how you make money. And then you have to realize what to focus on. And then once you realize those areas and facets in which you have to focus on, how you can actually achieve a higher ELR and achieve a higher hours per hour. Or if you're focused on CSI, you've got to focus on those customer service skills that are going to get you those high scores. So there's a lot of different things that can affect a lot of different directions of your pay that you have to track as a service advisor and pay attention to. And there's just not training for any of that. And in my experience, when I started at any of my dealerships, except for Toyota, we'll keep them out of it because they were great. It was, here's a clipboard or here's a tablet, you know, here's your desk. I don't even have a stapler for you yet, but go on out to the service lane and start helping customers. It's like, I don't even know how to write an RO yet because I've never used this DMS. But it's like, oh, just shadow somebody. You think another service advisor that's already hating their life, that's working on commission, wants to help this new guy? It's like the third new guy we had this week. I'm not trying to help this new guy. I'm not even going to learn his name until a month later, so he's going to stick around. So that, you know, that's. And that's part of also the breakdown that you're highlighting is that the onboarding process, forget about teaching the basic things that you need to do just to do the job. The whole onboarding process is broken in so many places. You know, you're talking about advisors being given a clipboard and it's an unfortunate thing that it happens so often. It's a joke that for some reason we shouldn't be laughing at. We yeah. should not be laughing that because two things are present. A, it means that these stores that are doing it don't care enough to create a process for onboarding that makes someone feel welcome at the new place, right. but not only feel welcome, but actually be productive for the business. Because if they're productive for the business, they're going to be productive for themselves. The same thing applies to technicians. Yes, if you have if you hire somebody that's been fixing Dodges for 10 years to another Dodge store, they can fix, fix the Dodges. That's not a problem. But if it's an entirely different DMS, they have a completely different communication system. Maybe now, instead of doing paper MPIs, now they have a digital MPI to do that includes yeah. video, that they have to do video MPIs that they've never done before. Mm -hmm. Perhaps this is an individual that is uh, not necessarily technologically savvy. So yes, they have a cell phone and yes, it has a camera, but they really have no idea how to use it. And you don't provide them any formal training to do that. Like in both circumstances, I've, I've heard such horror stories because we are the productive members of the, sh of the dealership, salespeople, service advisors, and technicians. We are the productive members of the facility, yet it seems to be on average, on average, Toyota is definitely an exception, but on average, we receive the least amount of training that is required to be successful. And then subsequently, not just the training to do the role that we're filling, but the training to allow us to be significantly more successful for not just ourselves, but for the rest of the business. 
we get back to the conversation about communication, right? You can teach a technician, you can teach a service advisor how to use something, but that's not necessarily everything that they need to know. You know, understanding that how you communicate to someone, right? A service advisor needs to learn how, meaning phraseology, tonality, you know, coming across as snarky is not an appropriate thing to do as, as a service advisor when you're talking to a guest. Applies the same thing to a technician. The last thing you want to do is be snarky to your service advisor that's trying to close some business for you. Right. If they don't, <coughs> pardon me, if they don't want to be that, that salesperson for you, they're not going to be, right? Treat them like right. shit. They're going to, they're going to act like shit, right? Well, you know, on top of that, you know, if, you, if you're a service advisor and you're, you're not very confident because as a service advisor, you get yelled at by the customer and you get yelled at by the service manager and then you get yelled at by the technicians, you tend to get timid, you tend to get nervous, you tend to just start not liking your job. And if you have that technician that's abrasive with you, doesn't like to answer your questions, treats you poorly, you know, disparages you for not having technical knowledge because you didn't choose to be a technician, you chose to be a service advisor. I mean, you yep. know, God forbid. Um, the problem with that is, is these service advisors don't have the technical knowledge because that's not part of a service advisor's training and it's not going to be because it's a customer service role. So when a service advisor that's like new or just doesn't know cars that well is like, well, this thing needs a water pump. I don't even know what's a water pump. They're nervous to even ask that question. And that's a very yep. good question to ask. And I actually, this is, this is my communication tip for service advisors. I actually have spoke on this before. You know, how do I leverage my technicians for technical information when it's not their job to train me? Well, you talk about the substance of the current repair ticket that you have in your hands. When they tell you that this thing needs a tune-up, say, what is that and why does it need it? The technician is typically happy to explain that to you because it pertains to the job on hand. So it's not a waste of time. It's, it's actually something that's making everybody money. And you get a nugget of information from your technician. You're armed with something that you can now take to your customer and more effectively and confidently, which is the important piece, sell that to your customer. If technicians can understand that piece, that to arm your advisor, arm their lips with the information they need to have to effectively sell to that customer, they will be much more successful and much more confident. Because at the end of the day, that service advisor is a go-between. I always explain it as like a ball joint. A ball joint pivots. The service mm -hmm. advisor is a ball joint. They pivot between parts, between service managers, between customers, and between technicians. They're also an advocate and a representative for the customer, but it goes both ways. Like if you're my technician, I'm representing you when I speak to my customer. So it's in your best interest to arm my lips and I have to be willing to listen to you and take coaching from you to get that information to then take it to my customer. You do that for a year, you do that for two years and three years, you'll be a professional. Exactly. I really love how you conveyed that because I have always said I've, I've been all of the above. I've worked everywhere in service. I'm a licensed tech. I've worked in the drive. I've been in the big chair. Service advisor is the hardest role in yes. the store. Yes. They're, 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 it is the hardest role in the store. Like you said, you have to talk to everybody and you effectively have to answer to everybody. Yes. And I, I use the 80-20 rule everywhere. Like 80-20 rule basically fits everything. And as a service advisor, in all likelihood, 80% of the time you're going to hear no. Right? You want to yeah. overcome like 20% selling, 20% closing is not is not easy, but it's not hard. 20% for the most part gets you the things that are falling off the car, right? Yeah. Brakes are metal to metal. If you can't sell metal to metal brakes, you shouldn't be in the service drive. It's just, that's that simple. And that for the most part gets you your 20%, right? The 20 to 40% closing ratio is your professionalism and understanding, which is what you were just talking about. Learning those learning those things, having the technician arm your lips to be able to be eloquent and confident about what it is that you're selling and having the communication at a level between your technicians and your advisors as a service manager going, these people are absolute rock stars, not just because they're good at the roles that they're in, but, but because they listen to each other. That is the key ingredient that I think fundamentally we're talking about, being empathetic and listening to what it is that each other has to say, not because it is or isn't part of their role to teach each other, but it, but because it's in their best interest to do so, right? The long-term ramifications of you building that rapport, building that interest, building that professionalism between each other is just going to benefit everyone so massively. And what some tend to forget as well is... When you have that level of professionalism and that level of rapport between technicians and advisors, the guest wins even more so 
because they feel it. You've been in the service drive when when there are advisors that suck. And I don't mean suck in a they, they can't close for shit. I mean, they just suck the energy out of the room. Yeah. Well, when guests feel that, whether it's from a technician or an advisor, because if a technician happens to be in the service drive, they can suck the life out of the service drive, too. But if the advisor is sucking the life out of the, out of the guests around them, you're going to sell less. So that confidence also instills almost a, a, a want to buy, as it were, in the guests that are around. So confidence via communication, everybody's making money. Yes. And, you know, it, it's interesting because you had mentioned something earlier that was a very good point is span of control. When you have X amount of technicians, X amount of advisors, and you are one manager and you also have to do manager duties, how do you have time to coach and train your personnel? It's a massive task. And if you're not making the revenue because you can't coach and train, how do you pay for a trainer to come in? And part of the answer to that, a big piece of the answer, and I, I advocate for this all the time, and I, I, if I could ever just say that if there's one thing that's going to fix the industry, it's this right here, and it's leadership. And how do how does a manager leverage leadership to train personnel without actually training personnel? What they do is they foster an environment with policy and procedure that encourages positive communication between the employees so that they can learn from one another and effectively do their jobs. Even if you're a service advisor that barely knows how to do your job, if you have a team of friendly, team-based technicians that are willing to explain things, take the five minutes to explain something to an advisor, even be in the office with them for quick whispering questions for a little while until they get their bearings. I get that you're not going to get paid anything on flat rate and it's going to be a heavy lift at, the, at first, but if there is an environment of a team there, a cover and move, if you will, it's a concept of leadership where you are helping each other out and you're also learning each other's responsibilities and hardships and then cross-loading the resources that you have on each side of the counter to assist each other in your jobs moving forward. If you foster that environment of communication, the people will tend to train themselves. Now, it's not a perfect situation because, you know, gaining experience without proper coaching can be bad experience. Um, but if you have that really good environment and that well-based team structure in place, especially with technicians that definitely know their jobs and definitely are professionals, if that bit of communication is going back and forth, those service advisors would be a little bit better off. And then, you know, the the plane uses the most energy on takeoff, right? That's the most energy it uses. Once it's in the air, it's not very hard to keep it sustained. And the same goes for like, say, you know, I learned this in basic training. When you clean your barracks, it's really difficult to get it clean the first time, but then maintaining it is very easy. So there's a lot of lift there at first if we're using this method of, of leadership and communication to get people on the same page and doing the right thing. So there's going to be a lot of communication at first. It can be very difficult. Technicians are going to have to explain a lot, really low to lips. But after a while, those service advisors are going to start to click and they're going to start to get it. And then the service advisors that catch on first are going to still start helping the other service advisors. And if there's a new service advisor, you have a team of professional service advisors that have been trained already that know what they're doing to help that new service advisor onboard effectively, all because the manager who doesn't have time to do it themselves fostered an environment in which it happens naturally. Awesome. Awesome. And the only thing that I would add to that, the only thing I would add to that is whenever that uh, communication is happening, however that conversation is transpiring, if you can put it in a place where you can get a mic in somebody's hand or a camera in somebody's face yeah. so you can record it, not necessarily because you want to record the face, but because you want to record the words, yes. having it written or at least documented so that at a later time, when someone is capable of sitting down for 30 minutes, that conversation can then be contextualized, bulleted, highlighted, titled, and then it becomes part of an SOP, right? Because yes. that yes. conversation that they learn during that can then be disseminated to other people as they join. Churn happens. You know, a, a reasonable turnaround uh, churn is about 5%. If I'm not saying 5 to 7%, it's going to happen. People yes. move. Life changes, people get pregnant, people get injured, you know, people have a stroke, whatever the case may be, life happens and businesses have to deal with it as they go. So having a constantly updated playbook, aka an SOP, a standard operating procedures in place that also have micro or granular pieces of information that your team has given, not something that's been pulled from the internet 
from, let's say you're at a Lincoln store, like you were talking about uh, a good friend of mine, Vernon Davis, absolute awesome human being is doing mobile, um, mobile Lincoln service. He's heading that up for, I think the Midwest, I could be wrong. He'll correct me. I know he'll correct me. Um, but he's, he's really great in that Avenue, right? We want to move those people into these new, uh, areas that we want them into with the advice that the previous team has given, right? We don't need necessarily new information. We just need to get all the information downloaded from those great people that work for us now. So put a mic in their hand or put a camera in their face and get it recorded so that it can then be put on paper. Because we go back to that conversation about onboarding and how, you know, jabbing, uh, jabbing somebody's um, face with a, 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 a clipboard and a pen to say, hey, go service customers. That's not helpful. But if you can give them like an 80 page document to read before they start on their first day, say, hey, um, you know, this is probably going to take you about two to three hours. And to read and go over, I want you somewhat familiar for, of this for your first day so that when you get here on your first day, you can ask me whatever questions you possibly can, right? I want you to be versed in the DMS and at least know what it is, right? Know what it does, what it's capable of doing and how we use it before you start on your first day, whether you're a technician or an advisor. And for those out there, it's like, well, I'm not starting until my first day. Well, guess what? If someone is being so bold as to give you an SOP to read before your first day, say, hey, um, this is going to take me, you know, three, four hours. You mind, you know, pay me for that? Oh, yeah, sure. Here. Most places are not going to be <clears throat> um, difficult with you about something like that. What would you say? Would that have helped you when you when you onboarded to the 17 advisor churn store? Would that have been helpful? Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, when I started that store, I was still young in the service advising game. You know, I mean, I had my education, had my education educational background, and I had my experience as a technician. I had worked, you know, just under a year as a service advisor at a very small Toyota store, mind you. That, that store was eight bays, two advisors wide. And the store I went to was probably 20 plus bays and seven advisors wide. So it was it was a massive store, a massive change and a totally different customer demographic because it's a totally different region of the United States, plus totally different manufacturer and different DMS. So it was a lot at once with no training whatsoever. I had no idea what I was doing. I, you know, I, I just came in and I was like, okay, here we go. I'm just going to figure this out. I knew how to handle customers, but I didn't know how to do anything else. So to have that preliminary information, especially because I had so much time in between like when I got hired and when I start, that would have been really helpful to look through because I actually did get a um, employee manual from one store that I worked at. Now, it wasn't like a training manual, but I read it because I was curious what was in it. But that's me personally. I read everything I get. Like if I, I, like I bought a truck one time and I read this finance manager was driving. I drove him nuts because I sat there and read every page of the, the extended warranty contract to see what was covered and what was not because they sell you dreams in that office. And you and I know that sometimes those dreams are nightmares. So I want to make sure I knew what was covered. But yeah, I think that some sort of a document like that or some sort of a video or onboarding thing, which Rocket does actually provide those things. We actually do work on onboarding content for dealerships. We can do it on a custom basis or that, you know, it's a general thing as well. Um, but you know, with TikTok, that's, that's what's, well, that's what I love about my account is I get DMS all the time or emails all the time of people saying, or even in the comment section, like, Hey, you know, I'm a manager, I'm a shop owner. I send your videos to my um, advisors every day, or I made sure my advisors subscribe to your, your TikTok and I ensure that they watch you every day. Not that I want my viewer account to go up or anything, but the fact that like, I am a facet. Like I've been attached to websites before, like people like, Hey, can I take your stuff and like put it on my website for like training material? I'm like, absolutely download it. Like it's free. Just put it on there and be done with it. Um, the fact that people utilize my content for that sort of a thing, it, it means a lot to me. Even if one person did that, that's the whole reason I do it. Um, I also wrote those, those thank you notes. Oh those yes. Random oh, yeah. thank you notes are, are possibly the most valuable thing I have ever come across in my yes. life. Yes. Yes. Right? It's one thing to, you know, you have friends, you have family, you have people who have been asking for your help all your life. Like right? if you've ever turned a wrench, at least five dozen people in your life come up. It's like, Hey, I got this noise. Hey, I need to help. You know, you know, how much you charge me to change my tires, whatever the case may be, or, or I need help figuring this out. You know, I got this strange thing going on in my car. You know, it shifts weird second, two to three, like that happens. Right. But when people 
listen to you and then have so much impact from it, whatever it is, you might even think it's is, is so granular impact that it's like a grain of salt. But when they say, thank you for doing what you do, please don't stop. You've really, really helped me. Those are unbelievably uplifting. Yes. They are why I continue to do what I do because it it requires so much effort. You and I both know how much effort it is required to do this yeah. stuff, to, yeah. to set meetings, to record, to post-produce, to get it published. And then hopefully somebody somewhere actually gets to consume it so that that person who did get impact from it gets to see it. Yes. Right? Yeah. yeah, it makes it all worthwhile. Yeah. It's super impactful. And, you know, one of the number one questions I would get in my comment section is like, or my DMs, especially like, Chris, I just got a job at a Honda store. I've never been an advisor before. What do I do? And it's like, okay, here, this, this, and this. And I got tired of typing it out over and over and over. I'm like, I need to make something that's perpetual. So I actually wrote an ebook on the topic. And it's a free ebook. You can download it um, at the very bottom. And this isn't a sales pitch. It's totally free. It's a resource. Um, at the back, absolutely. At the, hey, you're going to send me the link at the end of this so that I can put it in the post when this goes out. Yeah, absolutely. Because absolutely. It's, it's totally free for everybody. Um, there's a check-in sheet that I made on a Word document that I actually used to use in a dealership that has like the little car. You can check all the dings and stuff that I used to use. There's a warranty check-in sheet um, for extended warranties. So you can actually put the policy down and the phone number and write the concerns and get all your stuff together. So you can actually call and make an effective call to get the maximum time for your technicians because that's another striking point in the industry, another uh, pinch point, if you will, that, you know, my, my advisors, they never get me time for extended warranty. I never understood that because I usually got more time out of extended warranty than I could out of book time because there's a lot of different things that you can utilize if you have the technical knowledge going in. So that's there as well. But the, the meat and potatoes of that book, if you will, is um, it's called the Service Advisor Starting Guide, and it's just a chapter per page. It's not a long read. Um, it just goes through some basic things for you to know as you walk into being a service advisor. And it's basic things like time management, de-escalation, um, you know, preparing, prep or preparing for your day, appointment setting, like that sort of stuff. Very, very simple, basic, um, bird's eye view of just some things to kind of chew on to expect and know as you walk through the door of your first day as a service advisor. Awesome. That's going to be an invaluable resource for somebody. Absolutely. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. Craig, and yeah. I, it was, it was a, it was a passion project too. I really enjoyed that, making the fact that you're giving it away for free means it's a passion project. Like you just want to help people. So yes. I really appreciate that, Chris. I, I really, really appreciate that. Um, Chris, I really appreciate the time you've given and the insight. Yeah. And there's, there's so many nuggets in there that, that, there's going to be technicians who are thinking about becoming an advisor because, you know, they're sore, they're tired. Maybe they want to, you know, maybe it's not for them. Maybe it's, it's time, you know, they've got 20 years on the bench and it's, and they're looking at, okay, what are my opportunities? And maybe I can, you know, go write service. Maybe they use that guide. You know, maybe they, they check you out. Maybe they check out your channel, some of the, the videos and content that you produce to try and help them say, oh, this, this might be for me. This, this might be for me. Or maybe some young folks that are thinking about getting an automotive that, Turning a wrench might not be their first go-to that, you know, being customer facing might be something that they're interested in doing and, and making some good money. Cause I know there's advisors out there that are making some really good money. They're at a good store with a good leader with, with a good customer base. And then they learn how to do what they do. And when they get good at it, they make really good money doing it. So I really yeah. appreciate you giving yeah. the time, the energy and the insight. Yeah, absolutely. I, I appreciate the time on here. I do want to say before I go though, I, I did, I did creep on your LinkedIn for a little while. And I, I got to say that I, I also really appreciate what you're doing. I think your mission is absolutely pure. Um, the statistic that you gave from the CDC website, I went and verified it for myself. It blew me out of the water. I had no idea that that was a real statistic. I read that in your bio. And I was like, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. And I went, it's actually, I'm looking at it. It's still up on my brother. I looked it up today and it blew me away. But it makes sense because... Unfortunately, that exact thing occurred in one of the dealerships I worked in. It's, I had to, so it's, I'm, I'm already getting emotional. I had to take a week. The first time I read that I had to take a week. I had no social, no nothing. No, like I was like, I almost had a full on depressive state for a full week. When I read that, when I realized like all of the things that have occurred in my career as a technician 
in automotive, then as an advisor, then in the big chair and, and through my career, all of the things that have happened, so many things just went, oh shit. Yeah. That's happened around me. In yeah. so many ways, I've had a very close personal person to me um, be successful at, and I've had people around me attempt. I've yeah. had people yeah. around me admit to serious thoughts. I've seen addiction. I've seen abuse. I've seen yeah. all of, I've seen divorce. I've seen all of those things. And whilst I have been at more stores than I would like to say, so to speak, because I think my own history in the trade is not necessarily the kind of one that I would wish on anyone. But I've worked with, on a peer-to-peer level, enough technicians to have experienced some really dark shit. And when that, when I read that article, and it was poignant timing that you know, I was I'd realized that I was doing something selfishly. I was trying to to be a consultant in the industry to make money. And I realized that there's no way I'm ever going to be successful doing that because I'm just thinking about the money and thinking about how my grandfather would think. You know, would I would this be make my grandfather proud? And it wouldn't. So changing this act's like, okay, I need to do this, like you said, passion project. I need to be doing this from a purpose standpoint. What is it that I can do? to give back because I know that selfishly I know eventually maybe it'll take 10 15 20 years to get back but I know if I give and give in the right way to the right community in the in, in the right style I'm going to get back eventually but I have to do what is that thing and then to find something that was so impactful for me and then subsequently so impactful for so many it was just it just it took the life right out of me for a whole week. And then it was, okay, it's go time. This is, it's, it's go time. What, okay, what do we got to do? This is just everything. Throw, throw the entire pot, including the spaghetti at the wall. What is going to stick and what am I going to do? And I just started doing everything I possibly could. Now, unfortunately, um, as the, as the workaholic happens, you know, burnout happens because I no longer was taking any thought as to what it was doing to my family, what it was doing to myself. I had to back way off this past summer. Um, yeah. I backed yeah. way, way, way off because I was like, I'm still working too much, I would say, mm-hmm. but I'm not working, you know, I'm not sleeping three hours a night, right? Yeah. Maybe two hours a night or less. Um, so I, I backed way off for, for my own mental health, but that CDC article was damaging in a good way. And yeah, to, I mean, I it, was, it was staggering for me to read today. I mean, it really, really blew my mind. And it, it brought me back to the roots. It, it did the same thing to me. It brought me back to the roots of why I'm on TikTok, you know, because I, I know a lot of other big creators that kind of went to the dark side. I call it the dark side. And they started the marketing thing. And here's the shop and like buy this thing that I don't technically use this camera, or this sponge that has nothing to do with my content. And I could do that. I could make a ton of money doing that. But it doesn't fit my why. It doesn't fit the reason why I started. And the reason why I started is to help the automotive industry and ultimately what I like to call build the community. And I've made a lot of great friends, a lot of the big creators on TikTok. Um, I, I, I talk to them almost on a daily basis. We have like Snapchat groups and we just talk about our analytics and we talk about our day. We talk about our industry and we back each other up with content. So sometimes we'll answer questions from other people's feeds. So you know, if there's a service advisor thing that I'm more helpful for, they'll take hey, Chris, come here, answer this question, or I'll pull them in. Hey, this is more of a this is more of an in-depth like transmission question that maybe you can answer. You know, that does happen, some of that crossing back and forth. And what it does is it builds a community. And even if you're somebody that doesn't want to fire up the camera, doesn't want to put your voice out there, you're nervous, like you can type in a comment section. And I'll even notice it in my my comment section. There'll be a, a conversation going on, and I can't answer all the comments anymore. Back in the day, I could, but now that I have like 106 plus thousand followers, it's really hard to answer all the comments. But I'll scroll down through, and I'm like, okay, user so and so got that one. User so and so got that one, and it's a true community over there. So it's people helping each other, and that I think is the big piece and how we get away from that top five list on that CDC website is building that more of a community, more of a family. You know, everybody likes to say this, we're like a family here, but that's really up to us. You know, it's not about the pizza party every Saturday or whatever they want to do. 
it's, you know, we, in the automotive industry, people chew each other up alive. We're all frustrated. You know what I mean? You got that, that ornery technician in the corner that's just sick of it. And it's like the ninth new service advisor in like a year. So they just bark at that person, you know, and it, it, it just festers and it creates a more of a negative atmosphere. Um, like I said, those people you spend time with in that dealership, they're like your second family and you actually spend more time with them than your actual family. So those relationships matter more than I think people realize. It's such an undervalued part of life. I think I don't, at least in coaching, many don't understand the impact that work has on their life long term. Yeah. Um, there's walking the line between um, understanding that you need to work to pay the bills you shouldn't work. You shouldn't live to work. But there's a fine line between living to work and working to live because if you live to work, you're going to miss life. If you work to live, you're probably not going to get anywhere successfully if you have dreams and aspirations. So finding your own balance, and this is where I like to say, you know, there's no such thing as a perfect work life balance, but there is a perfect work life balance for you right? That, that is, that is what you have to find. And that starts from, from my point of view, especially with technicians, you have to set a goal. And if you don't know how to set a goal, you need to learn how to set a goal. Talk to somebody who does, you can talk to Chris, you can talk to myself. If you, if you want to learn how to, I, cause I know you talk about setting goals as well. Mm -hmm. Setting goals is the first step because then you have to work backwards from setting the goal. Okay. What do I have to do in order to achieve it? You don't set a timeline on it first. You set the timeline last. And the reason being is you don't understand a goal until you start working towards it. One. Two, you don't understand what the goal truly means. And once you start working towards it, you realize it's probably two, three, ten times more effort involved than you initially anticipated. So if you put a goal that's 30 days out that you can't accomplish in three years, you're probably not going to keep doing it. But if you set an appropriate goal with an appropriate line timeline with an appropriate workload, say, you know, I want to do this in 10 years. Okay, that's a reasonable thing. And 10 years, okay. So once a week, you start doing something. It's a manageable amount. Don't do what I did. Don't literally start going, okay, make a, a find, read an article that was incredibly impactful. I want to do something about it and start working 40 extra hours a week. That's not healthy. That's not yeah. healthy. Yeah, well, when it comes to goal setting, you, you got to set the bar as high as you can manually achieve. It has to be something that you can actually reach. And, you know, the work-life balance situation, you know, absolutely. You don't work to, you don't live to work. You work, you know, whatever you said, I'm getting that backwards. Uh, you, you don't, no, it's yeah, okay. you don't it, 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 work. You have to think about both. If you live to work, all you're doing is working. If you work yeah. to live, your entire focus is I go to work, I punch in, and then I punch out and I go home. Right. Right. So, and that, and that's, and that, that's the, what I was trying to get to is that those relationships at work, they matter. So when I worked at that Ford store, that was kind of a nightmare. That was the 17th one to leave. What I loved about that store is I have friends that I still have to that day from that store. I met my wife in that store. So when I left that store, we were all kind of feeling a certain kind of thing. My wife, we lived together and she's like, I miss you. I'm like, I, I will see you tonight. Like I will literally see you tonight. You know, but there was a, there was a, a severance there when I left that store and it's because of the relationships I had. Now the management structure there was a big reason I left. Um, but it's the relationships that really counted there. And those relationships really helped that feeling of, of, really what I would like to say, getting away from the balance, because really balance is opposition. You got to scale and you put weights on one side and the other side, they oppose each other. So if you have a work-life balance, they're technically in opposition of each other. I would rather them to be together in harmony. And I think that they become together in harmony um, when the automotive industry becomes more of the automotive community and you really enjoy seeing the people that you work with every day and you have a team that has your back and that way when you have that grownery customer or that big problem ticket of the day or whatever, you have a team sitting there right beside you ready to help you out and take care of that for you. I mean, that's a big deal. And you don't feel so alone because a lot of service advisors probably feel alone because other service advisors aren't trying to help you make commission. They're trying to make their own commission. And those technicians are just sick of the service advisors that aren't selling the work. So they're not trying to spend time talking to you because they got flat rate to turn. And it's just so uh, corporate. Mm -hmm. 
it's so it's, like we're, it's it's, it's like a snowball of toxicity when that happens yeah. right when everybody is just out for themselves nobody is truly winning right because you've got maybe a couple who will succeed on their own in the circumstances that are provided so they figured out the game they figured out the process they figured out how to get in front of the people that need to get, they need to get in front of in order to sell and stay away from the people that they know need to stay away from and so on and so forth. But that leaves the scraps, so to speak, both mentally and financially on, on the ground, right? They've got a scurry for it and that does not beget a, a great working environment, right? Two things, two things you've said there, the two most important things in a technician's uh, world, I think the most impactful thing that any technician or service advisor for that matter should do the most important step in the whole process is finding a high value leader. Right? It's the most single most important step of the entire process. Right? We don't teach young people. I was never taught, but we don't teach young people how to find a boss. Right? It should be the first. I won't say necessarily the first thing, but the last course they take leaving high school should be like an eight week day in, day out, understanding of what a true leader is going to do for you and how to suss them out during an interview because that interview is a two-way street, right? They aren't just vetting you. You are vetting them just as much. You don't take the job just because it pays well. You take the job because you got a high-value leader because realistically speaking, if you're working for a high-value leader, the money's going to come. Yeah. It just will. Yeah. They yeah, are life-changing. Yeah, no, truly it is. I mean, it's the difference between a boss and a leader. You know, a boss gets things done through manipulation. A manipulation can look like a lot of different things. There's fear manipulation, like, hey, I'm going to have to cut your hours this week if we don't hit X quota. It might be uh, an inspiring manipulation where, like, hey, I'll give you a half day off on Friday if we hit, you know, X amount of gross profit. That's all manipulation. It's great for short-term benefit. But a leader, um, and I actually wrote articles on this on my LinkedIn if anybody's interested. Totally free. I don't sell anything. Um, so it's not a plug. Um, they're, they're on my LinkedIn. Um, but a leader, you know, explains the why and inspires people. And that that's really what it is. So if you take, and, and it's long-term gratification when you're a leader like that. It's all about inspiration. And a good example of inspiration is you have two bricklayers. And you ask them each if they like their job. The first one says, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, it's hot and the bricks are heavy and this mortar makes my hands crack, but the pay is okay. Okay. And you ask the other bricklayer. And says, well, I really enjoy my job. I get to come here and spend time with these people every single day. And I'm building a cathedral. I can't wait to see this cathedral. Now, the other person didn't mention the cathedral. They mentioned their okay pay and it's hot outside. This other person didn't care about the heat, didn't care about the adversity. They cared about the project, the why. So that's the inspiration. So if a better paying job were to come up, which one of those employees are going to take the opportunity? It's going to be the one that doesn't know that they're building a cathedral. They have no idea why they're there. They're just there to collect the paycheck. The other person, yes, obviously the paycheck is important, but they didn't mention the paycheck. They mentioned the cathedral. And that's what leadership is. It's inspiring your people towards a goal, orienting them towards a collective goal where everybody can face off and head towards to achieve together as a team. That's how you bond them together. That's how you build that community that I like to keep referring to. Yeah, and I've got the data to support that because from a from a objective financial standpoint, um, many will say you know money is the only object of many, especially advisors and technicians. It's not the case, um, especially at least for technicians in in, in my data. Once most technicians reach uh, basically the cost of living wherever they are, seemingly once they cross that, um, money no longer is no longer in their top five things that needs to change. It just yeah. it's just yeah. devoid there. If you look at the data and how it goes and how it rolls down, the priority of those making over the cost of living in their area changes dramatically. However, at Every single store, the only thing that remains the top five every single time is the communication between. To, to bring this first for full circle, if a technician is making $55,000, $25,000, or $115,000, and it doesn't matter how dirty, how clean, how organized the shop is, they are always saying that the most important thing to maintain or improve upon is communication with service advisors. Yes. Bar none, end of chat. So... 
today's rent, that's what needs to happen in every store. Even if you think it's amazing, it can always be better. Yes. Oh, yes. You gotta, oh and, and communication is a skill. People don't realize that communication realize that and communication listening is a skill. Listening and silent are still the same letter, so you can't be interrupting somebody if you're actually listening to them. Are you serious? It is. It's spelled it out. Listening and silent are the exact same letters. Oh my god, that's like the uh, the uh, put numbers to the alphabet and and hard work and all the rest of that add up to to less than one hundred percent, but attitude actually adds up to one hundred percent. That that right. kind of mind blowing right. weird yeah. thing. Yeah. yeah. Silent yeah. and listen. Yeah. My you're, God. You're talking and listening at the same time. You ha and that's a service advisor trick to listen to your customer. You can't keep interrupting them. You got to let them get it out. Oh, I've just had I've just had a moment. Wow. Okay. <laughs> On that note, on that bombshell, uh, yeah. I really appreciate your time. Like, cause I, I don't think I can do more bombshells. I, I need to take a break from that. My goodness, yeah. Chris, thank you, thank you very much, good sir. I appreciate yeah, the time. I really appreciate, appreciate the, the energy. Awesome, folks. That's the end of another Wrench Turners episode. I know, I know. It's sad to see another episode go out the door. I know. Oh no, as it were. But the show's about improving the life, well-being, and productivity of advisors and technicians everywhere. And like every show, I want to end with a quote, as we usually do. The direction you choose to face determines whether you're standing at the beginning or the end of a road. Remember, folks, negative pushes, positive pulls, and always clean your toys before you put them away.